Do you ever spend time in an insane asylum? Did you ever decide to break out and hunt down girls to kill them? If you did, you should probably be in jail. Because you're crazy. We're doing 1978's Halloween. Here's Johnny. Go ahead. Make my day. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm 37. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Welcome back to Flick Magnet, a movie review podcast. I am your host, Jay. I'm Bob. And tonight, as you just heard, we are doing one of my all-time favorites, The Babysitter Murders. That was actually the original title, which they then changed to Halloween. Halloween. 1978's Halloween, written and directed by John Carpenter, also written by Deborah Hill, both of those people also produced the film. And uh, we got something special to go along with this movie. Yes, we do, baby. Tell us all about it, Jay. We have, this is the beer we're drinking tonight that Bob that Bob got us, from Ship Bottom Brewery, Ecto Guler IPA. And this label, for one, it glows in the dark. It has uh, Slimer on it, on the front, holding a surfboard, and a ghost trap. Got the, uh, the ghost mobile. Ecto-1, yeah. Ecto-1. Brewed for the Halloween season as a tribute to our favorite childhood drink. Hazy IPA? Yeah. It's, <laughs> That's your it, childhood drink? It's hazy. And you're probably asking, is it green? Oh, it's green. It's fucking green. Oh, dear Lord. What's the, a- the ABV? I didn't check. I don't know. Who cares? It's a six percenter. Oh, that, that, that is delicious. Isn't it? Oh, my God. That is so good. I want to run down there and see if I can get more. I want to take a bath in this and then drink all the bath water. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) All right. Let's go to the back of the box. It's literally the back of my Halloween VHS box. On a black and unholy Halloween night years ago, little Michael Myers brutally slaughtered his sister in cold blood. But for the last 15 years, town residents have rested easy knowing that he was safely locked away in a mental hospital. Until tonight. Tonight, Michael returns to the same quiet neighborhood to relive his grisly murder again and again and again. For this is an evil night. Tonight is Halloween. (laughs) Now, I have four or five different copies of this movie. And on the back of every single box, it is slightly different i mean it's even different in a description on here on rotten tomatoes really yeah okay i just got the blu-ray and it's completely different than that is someone has to earn their keep by keep uh, typing something up every time so can we keep the movie plot canon i don't know crazy question well they're all similar in how they say it so you know you get the gist oh this is so good so, Bob, do you have anything else you want to add before we get going here? Now, let's get right into this movie. Okay. Opening credits, we have a pumpkin that was carved by John, John Carpenter. 
Now, on the Blu-ray, he says the opening scene originally was supposed to be a shot of the road with lots of leaves blowing and then the title, Halloween. They made the right choice by going with what they went with. I want that uh, pumpkin tattooed on my arm somewhere. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool as hell. But before the movie starts, we get a poem with cowbells and everything. This is weird, man. That is weird. Can never have too much cowbell. So, these credits are they're quick, two minutes and six seconds to be exact. Because everybody in this movie has multiple jobs. This is a very low budget movie. Do you know the budget? No, what was the budget? Three hundred thousand. Oh wow. Then we get a title card that says Haddonfield, Illinois, Halloween night, nineteen sixty three. And we open with a great handheld camera shot of the Myers house and then a point of view shot. As someone is watching from a window on the side of the house as a young couple, David Kyle and Judith Myers, making out on the couch, kind of awkwardly, if you will. Then David asks if they're, if they're alone. Judy says that Michael's around somewhere. David says, let's go upstairs. Judy agrees. Start the timer. So the person watching goes to the front and looks upstairs. person then goes to the back door which is open he goes into the kitchen turns on a light and then grabs the biggest carving knife i have ever seen in my entire life do people actually have knives like that in dude their that's house? a sword that is not a knife that's a friggin sword that's a spoon <laughs> that's not a knife that is a knife so as this person grabs the knife we can see that they are wearing some sort of costume as a small hand grabs the knife. That would be Deborah Hill's hand, by the way. She's in the costume. Uh, the person then goes through the dining room, and just before he gets to the stairs, he stops at, as Judas Boy Toy is putting on his shirt and is about to leave. As he's leaving, Judy says, Will you call me? Dave says, Yeah, yeah sure I will. Sure I will. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Time. One minute, 26 seconds. Wow. On, on the Blu-ray, Jamie Lee Curtis calls, calls him a pig. It's the quickest sex scene I've ever seen in my life. Two-pump chump. <laughs> Two-pump chump. So, let's talk about this guy for a second. He's making out with Judith, who's very hot, by the way. Very. Very hot. She gives him the green light. They go upstairs. He's leaving, and he looks back at her like, Oh, shit. She's going to tell everybody. Everyone at school is going to know that I'm a two-pump chump. He probably should have killed her. <laughs> don't I, you tell anybody I'm gonna tell everybody you suck well this was before NDAs so it's not like he's gonna have her sign one was he Vince McMahon <laughs> no chance in hell no god damn alright so he leaves and the point of view goes up the stairs and at the top they see a clown mask the same one uh, Dave was wearing when he was messing around with Judy downstairs on the couch the point of view puts on the mask, and now we are looking through the eyes of the clown mask as they go into Judy's room, as she's brushing her hair at her vanity and her panties and her boobies out. Very nice. Very nice, but ladies, is that a thing? You have sex, and you just get up with your door open, by the way, and just brush your hair when you know your brother is around somewhere. 
This isn't a really big house. You don't clean yourself up at all? Because last time I remember, it's kind of gross. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a minute. Yeah, how true. <laughs> how much mess could he make? Well. No comment. No comment there, man. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So, we see Michael. Uh, Judith turns around and says, Michael! And Michael starts getting all stabby. He stabs uh, Judith. And as he's stabbing her, he's watching his hand stab. He's like, I'm really fucking doing this. This is awesome! I'm killing her! And he's enjoying this way too much. (laughs) Judith falls down, and this is where the entire budget for blood was used. As Judy's boobies are covered with blood, the person then heads back down the stairs, breathing heavily. A lot of that in this movie. And out the front door, and just as a car is pulling up, the couple gets out and says, Michael? As the man takes off the mask, revealing to be a little six-year-old blonde-haired Michael Myers, wearing a clown mask and costume, and holding a bloody knife that is half the length of his body. Oh, yeah, that thing is huge. I mean, we talked how big it was, but compared to a child, Jesus. You know, some would say size doesn't matter. It's how you use it. Size matters. In this case, it does. Obviously. Uh, so, uh, this kid, good job, because he looks menacing. No soul no reaction oh, to complete, what he's complete done. Complete dead eyes. Complete dead eyes. Just no emotion. That was Michael Sandon, by the way, who plays the six-year-old boy. As the camera pans out and up, revealing a great long shot. That's a good open. Uh, next, we get a title card, and it says, Smith's Grove, Illinois, October 30th, 1978. And we have Dr. Loomis in a car with Nurse Marion, played by Nancy Stevens. They're driving to the sanitarium to transport Michael to see a judge. Marion says that she doesn't like the inmates' gibberish. Loomis says that she has nothing to worry. Michael hasn't said a word in 15 years. Marion asks if there's any special instructions. Loomis says to never underestimate it. Nurse says, shouldn't we refer to it as him? Loomis says, if you say so. (laughs) Your compassion is overwhelming, doctor. As she lights up another cigarette. Again and again, smoking in this closed-up car. Come it, on. It was the 70s. You bitch. People smoked. And smoked. And smoked. She asks what she should give him when he goes in front of the judge. Loomis says, everything. No, he says, Thorazine. Nurse says, he'll barely be able to sit up. That's the idea, says Loomis. Loomis then notices her rabbit in red lounge matchbook. She asks Loomis if he's serious about never letting Michael out, to which he says, never, never, ever, ever, never. Marion says, why are we taking him, then why are we taking him up to Hardin County? Because there is the law. They finally get in, get to the front gate, and all of the inmates are wandering around. Loomis goes up to check on the gate as Michael spider crawls on top of the green station wagon. And nurse dumbass decides that rolling down her window would be a good idea. It wasn't, as Michael grabs the nurse and is trying to drag her out of the car. When this happens, Marion steps on the gas as the car starts to spin out. When the car stops, Marion goes to the other side, and Michael slams his hand on the window, shattering it. And if you look closely at his hand, you can see a wrench tied to his hand. The nurse gets out as Michael gets in and drives off. Loomis says, He's gone! He's gone! The evil is gone! Now we're in Haddonfield. I don't know if this guy's very smart or he's the world's worst psychologist. Quite opposite, I would argue. 
He's been his patient for 15 years. Tried 15 years to get through to this kid. He's done a bad job. And he's done nothing. But he, I, I feel like he's well-regarded in his, in his uh, peer community as a professional. I don't know. The way he acts, the way he talks. Well, a lot of people are like, who is this quack? He's not a big fan. Now we're in Haddonfield, Halloween Day. So Lori leaves her house with a stack of books. Before she can turn the corner, her dad comes out and reminds her to drop off the key at the Myers place. And they will be there at 10.30. Her dad is a, is a realtor, and it looks like he owns his own company, because on his car it says, Strode Reality. If you get to the house, he's not doing a very good job. Well, obviously not. Because it's sucks. a dump. It's a dump. So, <clears throat> in this scene, we see a bunch of red leaves all over the grass and sidewalk. These are actually painted fake leaves, painted red. And after every scene, they would have to collect all of them and then reuse them for the next scene. And at one point, some trivia for you. Uh, Carpenter hired Robert England to, to throw the, the leaves. This is 70. This is, this is before Nightmare on Elm Street. So... You get your job where you can get it. There's a Robert England tie to this movie. Laurie then meets up with little Tommy Doyle, played by Brian Andrews. And he's psyched about Laurie babysitting him tonight. He says, can we make jack-o'-lanterns? Can we watch scary movies? Can we make popcorn? Can Will you read to me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'd be my question. What, um, Laurie, what costume are you wearing tonight? Hmm? Sexy nurse? Sexy librarian? Laurie says, sure, sure, sure. Tommy asks her why she's walking to school this way. She tells him that she has to drop off the key at the old Myers place. Tommy says, you can't go up there. That's a spook house. As Lori is walking up, up the, to the door, we cut to inside the house and we hear Michael breathing. Then we see the back of Michael's head. Then Tommy says that Lonnie Lamb said that you shouldn't go up there. Lonnie says that that's a haunted house and awful things happen there. To which Lori replies, Lonnie Lamb probably won't get out in the sixth grade. Boom. Wow. F you, Lonnie, you piece of shit. You're dumb. You dumb six-year-old piece of crap. Lori walks off singing to herself as uh, Michael's now out of the house and on the sidewalk as we see the left half of his shoulder and head watching her singing this. Wish I had you all alone Just the two of us That is really creepy. Now, that song was made up by Jamie Lee Curtis on set. Now, Loomis is at the sanitarium, and he's talking with Dr. Wynn. Wynn says that it's not his fault this happened. He told them how dangerous he was. Loomis says, you can put two roadblocks in all persons bulletin. That wouldn't stop a five-year-old. Then Wynn says that he's your patient. If you felt those precautions weren't enough, you should have told somebody. Loomis is like, what the fuck? I told everybody. Nobody listens to me. Because they think I'm crazy. Yeah. Lewis tells Wynn that he needs to go get back inside and tell everybody what exactly walked out of here last night. Not who, what. And tell them exactly where he's going. Wynn says Haddonfield is 150 miles away from here. He doesn't even know how to drive. Lewis says he was doing very well last night. Maybe somebody around here gave him lessons. 
Next, we cut to Lori in class, and she looks out, out the window, and she sees Michael standing behind the green station wagon. Her teacher tries to catch her. You know how they do that if you're not paying attention? Yes. Yeah, well, she calls on her, and uh, when she looks back, he's gone. Then Lori answers the question with detail. Nice try, bitch. Now we're out of school, and the bell rings, and immediately all the kids come running out dressed in costumes. Tommy then walks out holding the world's biggest pumpkin held by a six-year-old. That's a strong six-year-old with that pumpkin. Is he six? I don't know. He seems like he might be older than six. Whatever. He's got a big pumpkin. It's a big pumpkin. And he's being bullied by three little bastards. They keep saying, the boogeyman is coming. The boogeyman is coming. They say to Tommy, don't you know what happens on Halloween? <laughs> Tommy's like, yeah. You dumbass, we get candy. Come on. Idiot. Tommy tries to run off, but they trip him as Tommy falls right on top of the pumpkin, smashing the pumpkin. <laughs> Then one of the little shits runs right into Michael. Michael grabs a hold of him, then lets go of him. Michael then stares at Tommy and then follows him for a bit in the car until eventually driving off. This was a creepy scene. Stalking a little boy. Of course. Now Loomis is in a phone booth talking to the Haddonfield PD, and he's trying to warn them about Michael. He sees a red pickup truck off off the road with a driver's side door open and a white gown. On the bushes. Loomis looks in the truck, but no one's there. However, Loomis does notice that the rabbit and red lounge matchbook from the station wagon is on the ground. Ooh. Loomis runs off as the, the camera pans right. We can see the mechanic from the Phelps garage is dead. Oh, no. Now we are at the high school and Lori is walking home with her friend Linda, played by PJ Souls whom at the time was married to Dennis Quaid. Hmm? Wow. Hmm? Then their other friend, Annie, played by Nancy Loomis, comes running up, asking why they didn't wait for her. Linda says, we did. 15 minutes. We totally waited for you. Totally. And he says that her boyfriend, Paul, got caught throwing eggs and soaping windows, and he's not going to be able to come over tonight because he's grounded. Lori says, I thought you were babysitting tonight. Linda says, Annie only babysits, so she has a place to shit, says Lori, as, as she realizes she left her chemistry book. And he says, I have a place for that shit to shit. <laughs> Linda's like, so what? I always forget my chemistry book and my math book and my English book. Oh, let's see, my French book. Oh, who needs, a, who needs books anyway? She doesn't care. Then Michael drives down the street, and Linda thinks it's Devon Graham. He's a total cutie. Oh, man. Lori's like, I don't think so. He slows down and looks at them, and we get a distant view of Michael in the mask. He speeds off, and Annie says, Hey, jerk! Speed kills! Michael then slams on the brakes, and he says, God, can't you take a joke? Michael waits a bit and then drives off. Lori says, One day, Annie, you're going to get us all into deep trouble. Linda says, Totally. And he says, I hate a guy with a car and no sense of humor. It's very specific. The girls then make plans for tonight, and he says that she's babysitting at the Wallace's. Lori replies, Dad's only three doors down. I'm babysitting at the Doyles. We can keep each other company. So Annie's good friend, I mean, Lori's good friend Annie replies with this. Great, I have three choices. Watch the kids sleep, listen to Linda screw around, or talk to you. Nice. Nice. So they drop off Linda, and as Lori and Annie are walking, Lori sees Michael standing next to the hedge. This classic scene here. 
Annie doesn't see this as she's digging through her, her pocketbook. Lori tells Annie that it, it was the guy that drove up and the guy that she yelled at. Annie then walks right up to the hedge and says, Listen, creep! But no one is there. Annie then goes, Lori, dear, he wants to talk to you. <laughs> he wants to take you out tonight. Lori walks up to see that Annie was messing with her. And then Annie says, Poor Lori, scared another one away. Quite a bitch to her, huh? Uh, these are her friends? These are her friends, yeah. They're not very good friends. <laughs> Annie is kind of a shit friend to Lori, if you ask me. Annie says that Lori needs to get out more and that she probably has a small fortune stash with all the babysitting she does. Lori says that boys, oh, they think she's too smart. Annie replies with, I don't. I think you're a wacko. Now you're seeing guys behind bushes. And if you look right here, Bob, if you look at in the background, in back of the head, you can see John Carpenter at the, the house behind them stands up to watch the scene and he didn't realize he was being caught on camera oops uh annie goes home and then uh laurie not looking bumps right into annie's dad sheriff bracket laurie says that he scared her to which he says it's halloween i guess everyone's entitled to one good scare huh laurie then walks home and looks on smiling at some trick-or-treaters and says and this line was written by deborah hill and to this day nobody understands what the hell it means here it is quote well kiddo I thought you outgrew superstition. And then she smiles and walks back inside. Ugh. Yeah. John Carpenter, t- to this day, doesn't has no idea what that means. So, there you go. Lori goes inside and up to her room, and she looks outside her window to see Michael standing in between some sheets that are blowing in the wind on a clothesline. You know the scene. Yes. And just like that, he was gone. That's, what's that, one, two, three times now she's seen him. Okay. Then Lori's phone rings, and when she answers it, no one says anything, and she hangs it up. The phone rings again, and Annie asks why Lori hung up on her. Annie says that she didn't say anything because she had her mouth full. Lori says that she thought it was an obscene phone call. Annie tells her that her mom is letting her use the car tonight and that she'll, she'll pick her up at 6.30. Lori then leaves her house carrying a pumpkin, and we get more of those beautiful red painted leaves blowing around as she sits on a concrete stoop waiting for Annie. Annie continues to watch the trick-or-treaters as Annie rolls up in a sweet maroon on maroon 1977 Monte Carlo. That's a nice car there. Yes. Lori puts her stuff in the back seat, and playing on the radio in the car is a song by the Coupe de Villes, which was a band featuring John Carpenter, Nick Castle, and Tom Lee Wallace, the produ- one of the producers. Hey, if you're going to get in there, you're going to get in there. Then Annie hands Lori a joint. He's like, here, smoke this shit. I'm going to smoke you out. It's Friday. I'm sorry, that's a different movie. Next, we cut to Loomis, who is with the graveyard caretaker at the Haddonfield Cemetery. As Loomis wants to see Judith Myers' tombstone. So as they're walking to it, the, the caretaker starts to tell Loomis a story about a man who ate dinner, kissed his wife and two kids goodbye, and then cut their heads off with a fucking hacksaw. Whoa. Yeah. But Loomis interrupts him, and when they get to the plot, the tombstone is gone. The caretaker says, why do they do it? Damn kids. You know how much that tombstone must weigh? Yes, it's gigantic. They'll do anything for Halloween. Yeah, okay. That weighs at least 250 pounds. Oh, yeah, because I'm going to just go steal a headstone. Yeah, I'm going to rip Halloween. it out. And it was clean. Oh, yeah. That was a clean, cut out, empty plot. Yeah, it's that is ridiculous. 
Yeah, kids today. <laughs> damn, damn kids stealing giant tombstones. I would have got away if it wasn't for your damn kids. And your dog. Yeah. Well, well. Now back in the Monte Carlo, Annie and Lori are passing the joint back and forth. Lori clearly does not do this often. as Annie acts like a pro. Yeah, you got to puff, puff fast there. Yeah. On the radio this time is uh, Don't Fear the Reaper. Ah, Blue Oyster Call. Yeah. Good song. And scream too. Let's hear that more cowbell. Because I got a fever. <laughs> the only prescription is more cowbell. More cowbell. All of times come. Godzilla's a better song, though. Debatable. Want that linger in the back for a minute. Also at this time, Michael is in the green wagon following them. And he asks Lori what, what the pumpkin's for. Lori says it's to carve a jack-o'-lantern to keep Tommy busy. Tommy, she says, how? She's the one that's going to have to do all the work. You know, like on Halloween, when if you have kids, you know, it's time to carve the jack-o'-lanterns, the pumpkins. They don't do shit. No. <laughs> we end up doing all the work. See... I came up with this brilliant idea that I give my kid a paintbrush and a small pumpkin and I let her paint on it. Oh, we do that. We used to do that, yeah. too. But we, we always got, like, at least three like, jack-o'-lanterns. Like, I would do one and they would do whatever they did. See, I like doing the traditional toothy smile, like on the Halloween jack-o'-lantern. It's, uh, all right, what have I, I've, I've done the, the devil's logo before. I did one that I call st- Stitches, where it's got, like, stitches for eyes and mouth. Like X's, you know, or yeah. whatever. So that's yeah, fun. But I, I also do the Halloween pumpkin too. I also did a, an upside down bat with a big crazy eye. Upside down bat? Yeah. No, take it upside down. Yeah. Nice. All right. So Annie says that she always said Lori would make a great Girl Scout. Then Annie says, as she's getting past the joint back, my dad. She tells Lori to get rid of the joint. They roll up to Sheriff Brackett. At the hardware store, which is also their Halloween store as well. And Lori can't stop coughing. <laughs> and it's like, what's wrong with you? Be natural. Be natural. Never smoking this bitch up again. Be cool, bitch. Be cool. So they pull up and the store's alarm is going off. They roll down the window and Brackett leans into the car. And Andy asks him, what happened? Sherry says, it was a, probably a couple of kids. <laughs> kids. You blame everything on kids. Sheriff says, well, all they took was a Halloween mask, some rope, and a couple of knives. That, my friends, is called a murder kit. Yeah, seriously. That's like when you go to the store and buy a whole bunch of fertilizer. You should be <laughs> on a watch list. I have a big property. And he says, it's hard growing up with a cynical father. Bracken then speaks, speaks loud enough to talk over the alarm, and he says, aren't you gonna? But the alarm stops, and he says, and he shouts, too. Can I say I love Annie? Oh, She's yeah. my favorite character in this movie. They say goodbye and drive off. So Annie's dad, the sheriff, didn't smell any weed in the car at all. Oh, she's the sheriff's kid. They're going to ignore everything they do. Mm, okay. Uh, uh, by the way, Michael pulled off just before they got to the hardware store about half a block. Then Loomis walks up and introduces himself to Sheriff Brackett. He says that he needs to talk to him. Brackett says, give me 10 minutes. Loomis says that he'll be right here. So in the background, Michael's at an intersection, and he's waiting for traffic to pass. 
for like a good 10 seconds, right behind Loomis. So we get back to the wacky tobacco mobile. Lori asks Annie what she's going to wear to the dance tomorrow. And Annie responds with, I didn't know you thought about things like that, Lori. <laughs> Lori doesn't say anything. Annie says that you can do it too. Just go up to someone and ask them. Lori says you could do that. I couldn't. And he says she could ask Dick Baxter. He'd go out with you. Lori then says that she'd rather go out with Ben Trainer. And he teases her for a bit, but says that he's cute. So look who finally caught up, Bob. Mikey's back. Oh. And he's putting on a lesson on how not to tell somebody in a car. Yeah, you're doing a bad job, man. He's right on top of them all the way. And they've all seen this car, clearly, from before. But what are you going to do? And he drops off Lori and then parks the car three doors down at the, at the Wallace's. Michael gets out of the car and watches Andy go into the Wallace's as he stands behind a very, very tiny tree. It's kind of comical right here. The tree is tiny. He's not. All she has to do is turn around. Hey, All she has to do is turn around. I turn around and go, hey, dude. Who the? What the I can f- see you. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Michael's like, what? What? Back at the Myers house, Loomis and Brackett are inside, and there's something on the floor, on the floor of the room. It turns out to be a dead dog. Brackett says that it's still warm. Loomis says he got hungry. (laughs) How does he come to that conclusion? Because he's the worst psychiatrist ever. You might be right. And and before they were, he was like right next to him. He's also the worst detective ever. He's just bad at his job. (laughs) Yeah, I'm starting to see that. So Brackett says that. It could have been a skunk. A man couldn't do that. Loomis says, this is not a man. I love how Brackett goes skunk for killing a large dog. Really? Skunk? I had to look it up. They do eat meat. Yes. So it's possible. But that skunk, that that, that has to be a tiny little dog, and it has to be the biggest skunk I've ever seen. See, I didn't know skunks ate meat. I had to look it up. I thought they just ate grubs. Oh, you thought they're... Yeah, they're an omnivore. They eat both. Oh, okay. So they go upstairs to Judith's room, and Loomis is telling Brackett that this is where Michael killed his sister. She was sitting right here. With her tits out. With her tits out in blood as she smeared the blood all over her tits. And we blew our whole budget. She rubbed them six times. He puts the blood on its skin or else it gets the hose again. He says that he could have seen his sister from the lawn through this window. Like I did. I I mean, he could have, yeah. Then we get a nice little jump scare as a piece of the gutter crashes in into, the, into the, the window and breaks the glass. This scares Loomis into pulling out his pistol. He turns to Brack and says, you must think of me as a very sinister doctor. I just think you're bad at your job. He's like, <laughs> I do have a permit. Brack says, it seems to me that you're just plain scared. Then Loomis goes on and has this little monologue. I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason... No uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Loomis says that he thinks Michael will be back here tonight and he's going to wait to hear. The sheriff wants to notify the public, but Loomis tells him not to do that. 
Because if he does, they'll see him on every street corner. He says, to tell your men to keep their mouths shut and their eyes open. Brackett says he'll check back in an hour. I love how this stranger, like, psychologist doctor comes into this sheriff's town. And he's, he's running the show. No. This sheriff must be either close to retirement or he just doesn't he care doesn't, He doesn't look old to me right here. And he looks relatively still young. Well, doesn't take cops long to retire. So maybe he's been on the force a while. Uh, maybe. I don't know. It just seems weird to me that he's like... I love his sideburns. They are some well-cloth sideburns. Yes, it's the 70s. I had sideburns up until the 2008s. Eights. I still I still use I still yeah. rock them. Like, I had those kind of sideburns. Oh, oh, oh classic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now we're at Tommy's, and Lori's reading him King Arthur. Tommy says that he doesn't like that anymore, and goes under the couch and pulls out a stack of comics. She asks him why he keeps them under there. Tommy says, because my mom doesn't like them. The comics are Laser Man, Neutron Man, Tarantula Man. Then the phone rings, and it's Annie. She's about to tell her some big news when in comes Lester, the family German shepherd. And he starts barking at something. Annie clearly does not like this dog. As she calls for Lindsay to come and get him. We then see Michael outside watching, watching again her through a window. The dog leaves, and Annie says, I hate that dog. I'm the only person in the world he doesn't like. Laurie asks uh, what the big news is, and he tells her that, what if I told you that you're going to the homecoming dance tomorrow night? Laurie says that I'd say you have the wrong number. And he goes on, I talked to Ben Trainer tonight, and he got real excited when I told him how attracted you are to him. This upsets Laurie, and she says, she can't believe she did that. I mean, you said you liked him. Yeah, for real. She got the ball rolling. I'm, I'm, I'm on Annie's side right here. Hey, she's just helping you out. Come so, on. Come on. Go get it. Meanwhile, Tommy goes to the front window, and he looks through the blinds, and he sees Michael standing across the street on the side of the Wallace's house with the light on, staring right at Tommy. Tommy goes to tell Lori, and when she looks outside, he's not there, and now the porch light is on, and the side light is off. Hmm. Creepy. Creepy. Now Michael is watching Annie through the kitchen door, and Annie spills a little butter on herself and completely overreacts. She hangs up with Lori and starts completely undressing right here in the kitchen. Oh, I got no problem with that. I'm not complaining. She yells for Lindsay to go get her a robe, but Lindsay is still fangirling out. Annie grabs a man dress shirt and puts that on instead. So now she's in her panties with high socks and oversized shirt. Mike's up. Pervert. Uh, you want to go to the TV? Because we are synced up with this. Annie's watching whatever movie. Not Annie. Lindsay. Annie, look at those panties. They're just fucking sagging. Man, Michael, you purr. Yeah, he's breathing hard. <laughs> just watching her get undressed. Yeah. Then Michael breaks a plane. He's like, oh, fuck shit! And he bails. That's so good. Damn it, that was a nice plant, too. God damn it. Mike's peeping outside. The dog starts to bark at him. Annie yells for Lindsay again, but we hear a hard yelp come from outside, and she says, never mind. I guess he found a hot date. I guess Michael found a snack. Jesus Christ. Michael's like, ooh. Dog. Curbside service. (laughs) So in the scene when he kills the dog right here, see? That's uh, the trainer putting the dog down in reverse. 
That's pretty cool. It's great filmmaking. And in and, and slow-mo, not in reverse, in slow-mo. Sorry. So next we cut to Lori and Tommy watching The Thing from Another World on TV. Foreshadowing. Four years later, John Carpenter does the thing. So Tommy asks Lori about the jack-o'-lantern. She says, after the movie. What about the rest of my comic books? After the jack-o'-lantern. What about the boogeyman? Lori says, there's no such thing as the boogeyman. Richie said, he was coming after me tonight. Lori tells him not to believe that little piece of shit, Richie. And Halloween is when people play tricks. Tommy says that he saw the boogeyman tonight right outside. Lori said that when she looked, there was nobody there. She asks him what he looked like. He says, the boogeyman. He looks like the goddamn boogeyman. Lori says that the boogeyman can only come out on Halloween night, right? Lori says, well, I'm here tonight. I'm not about to let anything happen to you. He asks about the Jack Lantern, and Lori says, yes. And off to go to carve the pumpkin. The kid said he saw the boogeyman tonight. Yeah, seriously. She has seen him three times. Three times. And she's like, nah, he's not real. Yeah, isn't this supposed to be like a nice, quiet town? So when something weird happens, you go, this is weird. It's Haddonfield, Illinois. Nothing happens here. It's a fictitious town named after Haddonfield, New Jersey, because that's where Deborah Hill's from. And you know why they call it Haddonfield? And you know what's named after Haddonfield, New Jersey? The Hattosaurus, which was first discovered in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Really? That's where they found the first Hattosaurus dinosaur. Hattosaurus? Yes. A Hattosaurus? (laughs) And it was gone! Yeah, just my throat a source. I don't know. <laughs> Back across the street, Annie takes her clothes outside to the laundry room and pounds on the door to open it. We had a laundry room back like this when when we lived in Belgium. It was it wasn't I mean it was connected to the house, but there's no access to it to the house. You had to leave out the back door and walk to the laundry room outside and then go into the room. That's how this is. It was uh in the winter, it was not fun. That's a little disconcerting. I don't like I have to leave the house to go to another room. Yeah. That's dumb. Yep. That's poor design. It's Belgium. What are you going to do? It's old. It's the jerk. land of chocolates. The land of chocolates. La, 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 la. She tries the light, but it doesn't work. Then the door slams from the wind, and we see Michael outside watching her through the thin white curtains. Perv. Annie says, who's there? Paul, is this one of your cheap tricks? As Annie goes to look out the door, but no one is there. Annie then says, no tricks for Annie tonight. Hmm. Ooh. She puts her clothes in the washer, puts a ton of powdered, powdered Tide in there, and starts the washer. It's a little throwback. Powdered detergent for clothes. Yeah, when's the last time you've used a powdered detergent? It's been a while. It's been a while. Then the doors blow shut, and it gets stuck. She calls for Lindsay, who maintains her rep by just ignoring her. And he tries to climb out the window, but she gets stuck. Lindsay finally answers the phone that's been ringing, and it's Paul, Annie's boyfriend. Lindsay tells him that she's washing her clothes. Paul says, just tell her it's me, okay? Lindsay says, okay, and hangs up the phone. Man, this kid sucks. I love it. (laughs) Lindsay goes out to tell Annie, and she sees that Annie got stuck. She helps her out, and Annie tells Lindsay to promise to not tell anyone about this. Lindsay smiles, and as they're walking back, the phone rings, and Lindsay runs to answer it and says that right away, she got stuck in the window. She'll be right here. I love that. Annie and Paul, which is uh, the voice of John Carpenter, try to make plans. He says that his parents are gone, so she should come pick him up. Oh, and Michael's right outside the kitchen doors again, watching her. 
Annie convinces Lindsay to go next door to finish watching the movie with Tommy so she can go get Paul and get laid. Gonna get lucky. So Annie and Lindsay walk across the street and they walk past the car parked out front as Michael stands up. They don't see this as Mikey is still in perv mode. You can't see me. Michael does the John Cena five fingers in front of his face. So in walk Annie and Lindsay. Lindsay goes with Tommy to finish the movie and Annie goes to the kitchen to see Lori who is carving a pumpkin. Lori pleads with Annie to call Ben Trainer and tell him that she was just joking. And he says if she will watch Lindsay, then maybe she would talk to Ben Trainer in the morning. Again, Annie's being a little bitch to her. Lori says, deal. The old Girl Scout comes through again, says Lori. Now Annie goes to look for her keys for the car. And when she gets in the car, she notices all the windows are fogged up. That's because Mikey's in there, breathing heavy. <sighs> Oh, I can't wait till she gets in the car. Oh, my God. 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 She looks so hot in the kitchen with her shirt off. And those panties were hanging just a little bit. I love it. And it sucks. No. It's so high up. You, you see your car is completely all fogged up from the inside. Takes her a second. Yeah. And you don't go, hey, that's a little weird. My truck does that in the morning. Does it? This morning when I went out to my truck, it was all fogged up. That's so weird. And I did. I peeked in the back window. I was like, oh, shit. Who's in there? Mike? Is that you? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I think this mask might be hindering his breathing, Bob. Or maybe he has some undiagnosed asthma. Yeah, because, you know, Dr. Loomis isn't good at psychiatry. Dr. Loomis? He's it's not good at... Mr. He can't... He's not good at psychiatry. He's not a very good detective. And you can't tell if the guy has an asthma problem? Come on! <sighs> Michael, do you need some albuterol? I shot him six times! So Michael pops up from the back seat and starts choking Annie. And as Annie is struggling, she is laying on the horn pretty hard. This neighborhood sucks, by the way. Oh, yeah. They're, they're not coming out and looking at all. Oh, it, it gets worse. It gets much worse. Okay, so then Michael slits her throat in the most passive way possible. You barely see any blood. It's just a little bit like a little marker. That's because this movie's classy. I like it. You don't need it. You don't need it. Uh, as Annie makes a pretty bad death face with the big uh, googly eyes. As yeah, the, she's, she's goofy looking. She's yeah, like, goofy. It is very weird looking. As the horn blares. Now Tommy and Lindsay continue watching the movie, but Tommy decides to hide behind the curtains and call Lindsay's name. Lindsay! Lindsay! And she gets up, and she looks. She can't find him. But then he turns around to look outside the window. He sees Michael carrying Annie's dead body from the back. And into the house. At this point, Tommy should be like, uh, Lori, the girl that was just here, uh, she's dead. Some dude in a mask is carrying her body into the house. That's the conversation that should have been had right there. Yeah, instead, you know, they just ignore that shit. Yeah. Tommy, he freaks out and he tells Lori, but Lori doesn't believe him and tells him to knock it off or she's going to put him to bed. It's not funny. Tommy says, nobody believes me. Lindsay says, I believe you, Tommy. So, like I said, F Lori. Back at the Myers house, Loomis is hiding in the, in the front behind some bushes when a group of kids roll up and dare one kid to go up to the house. This kid is Lonnie. You know, Lonnie, who's not going to make it out of the sixth grade. That Lonnie. The bullies from before. Tommy's bullies. Lonnie walk, walks up to the house as Loomis says from the bushes, Hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. As the kids leave and Donald Pleasance looks so pleased with himself, it's the only time we see him smile. Smile. He smiles, Bob. Yeah, only because he's a psychotic, crazy 
bad doctor. I took a picture of this, and I'm going to post it on the Facebook page. So look for it. It's freaking hilarious. Bracket then startles Loomis and tells him that nothing is going on. It's just kids trick-or-treating, parking, getting high. He says to Loomis that he has a feeling that he's way off on this on this uh, Michael Myers shit. Thank you. Now the guy's finally starting to think this guy's yeah. crazy. Bracket says that he's not doing much to prove him wrong, and it's going to take a little bit more than a fancy talk that he's been doing. Fancy talk? All he said was, he's coming here. Loomis responds, I watched him for 15 years, sitting in a room, staring at the wall, not seeing the wall, looking past the wall, looking through the wall. With his, you know, special vision. (coughs) Looking at this night, inhumanly patient, waiting for some secret, silent alarm to trigger him off. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. You can either ignore it or you can help me stop it. It's good. Donald Pleasance is good. He is very good. More fancy talk, says Brackett. What the fuck? <laughs> Brackett says that Haddonfield is a family-oriented town, and he'll stay with him for tonight, just in case you're right. He says, if you are right, damn you for letting him go. Again, Loomis didn't let him go. No, Loomis didn't. doesn't want him to get out ever. Loomis wants him to die, because he's evil. Pure evil. Now we cut to Linda and Bob. Come on, Bob. As they pull up in front of Annie's place in Bob's sick, custom-painted van. His van was off the hook. Very nice. Linda says, here's the plan. We go upstairs to the first bedroom on the left. Bob says, all right, first I rip off your clothes, then you rip off my clothes, then we rip off Lindsay's clothes? What the fuck? Whoa. Lindsay's the little girl. She's 10 years old. 10 years old. He's saying this. Sick Fucking piece of shit. They go inside, and it's all dark. By the way, fuck Linda, too. She's like, oh, knock it off, Bob. She should have been like, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah, dude, what's wrong with you? She should have said, uh, I'll see you later. Get back in your piece of shit van and hit the road. Yeah, you creepy fuck. Yeah, but no, she doesn't. They go inside, and it's all dark. But that doesn't matter as they start making out right there on the couch. As once again, Michael's watching. He is a I pervert. I always feel like somebody's watching me. Next, across the street, Lori brings out the jack-o'-lantern, places it down, and peeks out the window to see Bob's van parked out and all the lights off over at Annie's. As Lori says, everybody's having a good time tonight. Next, Lori sits down with the kids to finish the movie, but the phone rings and Lori picks it up, and it's Linda. She asks, where's Annie? Lori says that she went to get Paul and to have her call her as she has Lindsay here and she wants to know what time to put her to bed. What time she should put the kid, she doesn't have to babysit, to bed in somebody else's house. Yeah, seriously. What are the parents, you know, what's with the parents? They're going to come home and uh-huh. go, why is my kid over there? Yeah. Where's the babysitter? Yeah. What's going on here? Exactly. Shitty babysitting. Linda says she totally will. Then Linda and Bob head upstairs to do the nasty. And as they're doing it, the phone keeps ringing, so Bob takes it off the hook. They go back at it, and as this is going on, we see Michael's shadow as he walks by. They finish, and for the first time in this movie, the heavy breathing wasn't Michael. Hmm? Ho, ho, ho! It was you, Bob. I mean, it was Bob. It was. What about Bob? So they lay back, and Linda lights them both a cigarette, and Linda says... Go get me a beer. Bob says, I'll be right back. (laughs) Don't say that. 
Then leaves and gets a couple beers, but he's he hears something. So he checks the cabinets, and then he checks the closet across the way. When Michael comes out with a fury, and he lifts him up with superhuman strength and stabs him with the big sword knife through the stomach and into the door, impaling him to the door behind him. Michael takes a step back to acknowledge his work as he tilts his head from side to side. Like, hmm, I did that. That's me. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Nice job. I'm good at killing. This was improvised by Nick Castle at the time, who plays the shape, by the way. Oh, when uh, Tommy peeked out the, the window to see Michael for the first time, that was Deborah Hill as the shape. Then Michael comes back into the room that Linda is, is in and opens the door. Only this time, Michael has a sheet over him with Bob's glasses on over the, with two eyes cut out. Uh, this scene, like I was telling you before, I have issues with this scene. It's funny. I like it. But they have not led us to believe at all that Michael has any kind of personality, yet alone a sense of humor. Yeah, they, they have him as a relentless killing machine. A psycho stalking killing machine, not someone who's gonna. Eh, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna get dressed up here and uh, let's screw with him. So this psychotic individual takes the time to find it. First of all, find a sheet, cut the eyes out perfectly. So he had to use scissors. With scissors, not his big sword knife. Anyway, this is the only thing that I have issues with the, with the movie, but it, it's, it doesn't hurt it. It doesn't hurt it. So. However, this is also where we get more boobs, Bob. Linda asks for her beer, but she never gets it as she calls uh, Lori. But Michael wraps the phone cord around her neck, choking her out while, while Lori listens on the other end. Lori looks across the street, and for a minute, the lights come on and then turn back off. She calls the house, but the phone just rings and rings. Lori then goes upstairs to check on Tommy and Lindsay. They are fast asleep. We cut back to Loomis, who is still standing in the spot where where he scared off Lonnie, and he turns around and he sees the green station wagon parked a little further up the street. He's terrible. He's just not good at his job. <laughs> it's been there job. the whole time. The yes, wh- yes, seriously. it's It was there the whole time. You, you didn't see it at all, man? Jeez. There's nothing going on. The streets are dead. It's supposed to be Halloween with trick-or-treating. There's no trick. It's, it's late Halloween night. Yeah, so, you know, everything that's going on, you can't figure this out by now? I wonder where the parents are. Where'd they go? Is, Some swinger party? Is it like in that movie Hocus Pocus? They're all in like the town hall having a big party? Maybe. Maybe. Did you watch Hocus Pocus too? It wasn't that bad. I didn't like it. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that good. It was a... He runs over to inspect it, and it's the same car. Cut back to, Lo- back to Lori. She leaves the kids and puts the house keys in her right front pocket. She's heading over to see what the hell is going on at the Wallaces. Yeah, seriously. What's going on here? Seriously. Totally. Lori walks up to the front door and rings the bell and calls for her friends. Nobody answers. She goes around to the kitchen where the doors are left open. It's a common theme here tonight. Leaving your kitchen doors open. And leaving everything unlocked. Yeah. Why do people just leave things unlocked? It's Haddonfield. She continues to call out to Linda and Annie. Lori heads up to the stairs and sees a bedroom lit up with, with candles and the door is barely cracked open. She goes to the door and opens it, revealing Annie displayed on the bed with Judith Myers' tombstone above her and a jack-o'-lantern on the nightstand. It takes Lori a minute to realize that this is not a joke. She screams and backs up to a, to a closet. Then Bob's body comes uh, swinging out. Lori freaks and backs into a dresser, and the door swings open, revealing the body of Linda. Oh, my Lord. All of her friends are dead. 
Lori screams and runs out of the room. And next to a closet door jam, the door is open and it's pitch black behind her. When all of the sudden, Michael's mask illuminates behind her as Michael comes out and stabs at Lori, slicing her on the arm. This sends Lori over the railing and crashing down below the steps. Oh, this was such a good scene. It's such a good scare here. That scene where his mask illuminates, they did that with, with a dimmer switch. That's It's such genius. Yeah, it's so good. It's such a great scene here. All right, so let's get into it now. Michael comes down the steps after her, but Lori gets to the kitchen where she came in. But a rake has fallen, preventing her to open the door. Michael busts through the door, but Lori's she's able to break the glass and move the rake, allowing her to escape. Now a frantic Lori goes to her neighbors for help as she's banging on someone's door, screaming for help. They turn on the front porch lights and look through the blinds and basically say, fuck you, kid. Good luck not dying. Again, fuck this town. Yeah, seriously. Your neighbors suck. Lori then runs back to the Doyles as she reaches into her pocket to retrieve the keys to the house, but they are not there. Lori bangs on the door for Tommy to, to open it, but he doesn't answer. Lori then takes a potted plant and throws it at Tommy's window, waking him up. Tommy eventually opens the front door, just in time, saving Lori. That's good shit right there. That's good shit. Lori tells Tommy to go upstairs and stay there as she picks up the phone, but it's dead. Lori then sees that a door window has been left open, and she starts to panic. Oh, that's not good. Lori sits down on the floor next to her knitting set and grabs one of her knitting needles as Michael rises from behind the couch as he stabs at Lori but missing. Lori counters with her knitting needles, hitting Michael right in the side of the neck, killing him. Maybe. As Michael drops to the floor, Lori looks over at him as she drops the knife. Meanwhile, Loomis is walking the streets as Sheriff Brackett rolls up. Loomis tells him that he found the car. He's here! He says, I'll watch the fronts. You watch the backs. Then Lori goes back upstairs to get the kids. And Tommy says, was that the boogeyman? Lori says that she killed him. Tommy says, you can't kill the boogeyman. As Michael Myers makes his way up the stairs to finish them. The kids go off into the room and lock the door. As Lori goes off into the master suite and opens the balcony doors, as to deceive Michael as she hides in the closet. Michael doesn't, he doesn't fall for it as he breaks through the slatted closet and goes to stab Lori. But Lori untangles a wire hanger and stabs Michael in the eye. Oh, oof. And then with his own knife. Lori gets out of the closet and walks around, Michael's body laying on the floor. Lori goes to the kids' room as they come out. Lori tells them to go to the McKinsey's and tell them to call the police and send them over here. Lori sits up, sits on the floor by the room where Michael is as he sits up like the Undertaker in WWE. Oh, what a great scene. Oh, goosebumps. We then cut to the kids wasting no time as they leave the house screaming, getting the attention of Loomis as he's policing the streets. Then Lori stands up next to the door, as does Michael. Michael attacks Lori, but Lori is able to get the mask off for a second, revealing a normal blonde-haired basic bitch psychopath 
I think this is uh, Tommy Wallace. That's a uh, that's his name. I think he's the producer. Uh, he's normal looking. As a kid watching this, I always remembered it being a disfigured face. I don't know if you had that same. No, it's a, it's always been a normal looking face. When I was little, I thought it was a distorted face, but it's not. Just some blonde guy. Loomis comes up the stairs and shoots Michael once. Michael stands tall as we get this great silhouette of Michael as Loomis shoots him five more times. Michael falls over the landing and down to the ground. Lori says, uh, she says this. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. She says it was the boogeyman. Loomis goes to the window to reveal that Michael is not there as Loomis has a, a look of acceptance on his face and uh, d- disappointment, but not surprised. Kind of like, yeah, yeah that, 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 that makes sense. Lori's crying and we cut to different cuts of the house and other scenes as we hear Michael breathing as we get the, the credits. That's Halloween. The babysitter murders! That was good. I just ran up the stairs. I can't help it. <laughs> oh, good movie. That was a great movie. What's next, Bobbert? Bobbert. So, so we're gonna talk about other movies that were in 1978. This is the uh, top ten movies. According to IMDb of 1978. All right, all right, all right. We're going to start with number 10. The Wiz. Oh, the uh, Michael Jackson movie, uh, musical. Yeah, the ad- adaptation of The Wizard of Oz. It wasn't bad. It. it wasn't bad. That's a, that's, a fun, that's a fun movie. Coming in at number nine, Grease. Damn. That's a big movie. Olivia Newton-John, R.I.P. and John Travolta. No, he's still acting. Yeah. (laughs) Not very well. Number eight. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Body Snatchers. Starring Donald Sutherland. That movie scared the fuck out of me. Movie still scares me now, especially... uh, It's 1978. At the end where he turns and he goes... Uh, you just and you realize she's the last human being on earth yeah. just freaks you out scary movie number seven National Lampoon's Animal House you're gonna wear the shirt of the band you're going to see don't be that person <laughs> Toga don't be Toga Toga just the one scene where he downs the bottle of Jack and then smashes <clears throat> it against his head it's fantastic so good number six Blue Collar I don't know that one. When three workers try to steal from a local union, they instead discover corruption and decide to use it to blackmail. Richard uh, Richard Pryor, Harvey Keitel. Wow. All right. Number five. Is alive. Midnight Express. Okay. Another good one. That was a good movie. It's a good year for movies. Number four. Days of Heaven. Days of Heaven. Starring Richard Gere. And the gerbil? <laughs> That's his co-star. <laughs> number, uh, we're in the top three. Number three, Superman. We're doing that movie soon with Christopher Reeves and Margot Kidder. I love that. And movie. Gene Hackman. That's a great movie. And Marlon Brando. Yeah, fantastic cast. According to IMDb, number two was Halloween. Okay. 
And the number one movie of 1978, according to IMDb, The Deer Hunter. Really? Starring Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken. Wow! The Watch! Watch! The Kids! That was a good movie. That was a really good movie. Have you seen The Deer Hunter all the way through? It's been a while. Been a while since I watched you. Is that Nickelback? No? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't they're, they're coming out with a new album, and, and it, they're on tour. Look at this graph. Look at this photograph. Oh, right. That's it for me. All right, there you go. Let's get into some awards. Well, we got reviews. Reviews, that's what I meant. Reviews. Reviews from classy people on the internet. Are they classy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. We're going to start with the reviews. Rotten Tomato critics give this a 98% with an audience score of 90%. Nice. And IMDb gives it a 7.7 out of 10. That would be higher. Me too. Positive reviews. Jason Zenoman of the New York Times. In horror, the -the jack-in-the-box scare is the quickest way to get a scream, but it still shocks. This one lingers with you. Halloween has them both, but it specializes in the second. Nice. Uh, Gregory Weinkoff of the Huffington Post. It's, uh, oh, wait a second. This, oh, this is a positive review. It says the narrative is anemic, but it earns a lot of praise in terms of atmosphere and performance, both uh, verging and brilliant. <sighs> Idiot! Negative reviews. The, the variety staff of variety. <laughs> okay. After a promising opening, Halloween becomes just another Maniac on the Loose Spencer. All right. Yeah, but did it start this sort of genre? Yes, it did. How could it be a just another? Uh, uh, Are you doing negative? Yeah, I'm doing my last negative. Gary Arnold of the Washington Post says there is precious little character development or plot development to pass the time in between stalking sequences, one tends to wish the killer would just get on with it. You don't need character development. This is the, this is the one that made me laugh. You oh, just do the, it. We just, just wish the killer would get on with it. Get on with it? Get on with it. Come on, just kill him already. Does, have you heard of the word suspense in building? Uh, apparently, they didn't then. All right, these are from Amazon. So, these one star. The uh, title, I rented Halloween and it's basically unwatchable. This, The quality is absolutely horrible and super pixelated. As someone who has never seen the original, I had a pretty hard time figuring out what was going on without being able to see any of the characters' faces. What movie were you watching? Yeah, seriously. The nighttime scenes were completely unwatchable. Completely unwatchable. Uh, I wish I had looked at the reviews before I rented this. I don't know why Amazon keeps up the HD version if it's going to look like this. Uh, bitch, we're currently watching it right now. Bob, how's the quality? Very nice. Very nice. Very nice, very sexy. I mean, there was a nice shirt of, uh, shot of Jamie Lee Curtis's ass. <sighs> she is still sexy today. She says... She feels like she's more attractive now than she was back then. I'm not going to argue with her. I kind of like the short hair. It's not bad. Does something for you? It does something. All right, next one. Title. Never seen it until Halloween. Reviewed 
November 4th, my anniversary, 2021. Uh, I have never seen this movie. I decided to watch it this Halloween, and I must say, it's so dumb. Oh, I turned it off even before it ended. One star. Fuck you. Seriously, what's wrong Fuck with you? you? I have some five stars. Classic horror at its campiest. Campy? Campy. I don't know if it's campy. It's not campy. Campy's like, um, what was it? The Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yes. That's a campy movie. I have the mug right next to me, right here. Uh, says, I very rarely get five stars, especially to a horror film. But now I could not give Halloween the original five stars. It's a classic. I have the absolute best memories of watching this movie as a, as a tween with my friends and all of us being, being scared out of our wits and screaming at the top of our lungs. It's one of those it's-so-bad-it's-good films like Friday the 13th. One can't beat it for campiness. It's in its 40s, made somewhere around circa 1978. Somewhere around exactly 1978, you stupid moron. Or 79. I want to punch this guy. Hey, our punchable face? It's this guy. Oh, jeez. It has the... The debut of Jamie Lee Curtis followed her famous parents into the film industry. Her co-stars are all equally bad and campy and seemingly invincible. Michael Myers, it's fantastic, it's great, it's fun, and the perfect film to watch every Halloween. Okay, okay. Right, sir, sir, take this film back into your padded cell and enjoy it, you psycho. Uh, my final one, there's a reason this is famous. Um, okay. Halloween is exciting, unsettling, melodramatic, twisted, and memorable. How does John Carpenter do it over and over again? The opening of this film is one of the most unique ex exercises in visual storytelling that I've seen. I agree. Depending on your perspective, some character choices and ridiculous durability of Michael... Michael's body might annoy you. Carpenter composed a haunting minimalist soundtrack here. Michael's behavior and the tropes subsequently introduced to the slasher genre and the movie are fascinating. Jamie Lee Curtis is truly a great actress. I agree. So, that's reviews. Would you consider this a slasher movie? No, I would not. It's nothing like a slasher movie. It's a suspenseful movie about a killer. It's not a slasher. There's barely any blood. You don't see any penetration. You don't see all the shit. Yeah. <laughs> I said penetration. You don't see any of the stuff that we get later on in those later sequels. Those are slashers. Those are slashers. Yeah. This is this is just this is is this like is, this is a classic horror movie. This is very Hitchcockian, and Carpenter even says he was going for that. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. So it's it's like a Hitchcock movie, scary, but not you know horrifying. If that makes sense. Makes sense to me. All right. What's next, Bob? We go into uh, ratings. All right. Our so, personal ratings. All right. I'll go first. Or if you want to go. No, you can go first. All right. This movie, I grew up with this movie. I watched it since I was a kid. I watched, I've seen the TV version, which has a couple deleted scenes. One where uh, Loomis is uh, with a, a teenage Michael, and he's looking out the window, and Loomis is talking to him. The kid looks just like a complete psychopath. So he, he's either not doing his job, or the kid's just pure evil, like he says. And I think the filmmaking, I like the tribute to Hitchcock. To me, this is 
like Jaws, very similar with the score saving the movie. Because without the score, it might not be that good of a movie, right? Yeah. So I am actually lucky. I feel lucky to be alive that this movie has been made. I, I watch it I've countless times. It's 10. It's 10 out of 10. It's a perfect movie for me. Perfect movie. Perfect filmmaking. Perfect storytelling. The acting's great. Everything's fantastic. I love it. This is a really, really, really good movie. And it's a genre-defining movie because this really set off a lot. You know, a lot of movies were made after this because of the success of this movie. This movie was made at a low budget, considering for the times. And it had breakout stars. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is a breakout star. This is her first movie. movie. This is her first, like, well, she was an actress before this, but this is big for her. But this is her first because in the credits, it's introducing Jamie Lee Curtis. It's it's real. This is a really good movie. Um, it was well written, well directed. All the little things are done right in this movie. Yes. Just the scene we talked about with the dimmer switch, where they just slowly mm-hmm. illuminate his mask to so get amazing. him in there. So amazing. Every time I see it, I get goosebumps. I yeah. got goosebumps now just after just watching that scene again. And uh, it is. This is a ten movie. It is. It's a perfect ten movie. Um. There's not much to nitpick about. Like Loomis for, is an idiot. Let's let's just yeah. he's he's just bad at his job. But it doesn't hurt the movie. Um, and like you said before, why is he wearing the sheet with the glasses? That's the only thing That's that I'm the, like, oh, I don't get that. that we're disa- yeah, we're disappointed in it because it doesn't follow the character trait at all. But it also doesn't. Hurt, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't the movie hurt it because you enjoy it. Right. You know, you can take that out of your brain. So this is a ten movie. Mm-hmm. This is something I will watch again, and I will watch on Halloween this year. Exactly. And uh, I watch it every year, much as too much for my wife's chagrin because she hates horror movies. Mm. I also make sure to watch Friday the Thirteenth every year on Halloween because I just love that movie too. I watch. I watch a bunch of ho- uh, Scream. I watch Scream. Those are to me top horror movies. I saw Scream in theaters when it came out. I've seen that movie more than this. Scream's amazing. Scream's a good movie too. Friday Thirteenth, amazing. But this this is a great. Are they perfect movie. though? Well, stay tuned because we're going to be doing those. But uh, yeah, you got a ten out of me. So that's uh, two movies now that have been perfect: Jaws and this. And I feel like these are very similar: yeah, Jaws the, and Halloween. The, both well directed, well written movies. Yep. That with the com- combination of the score, because the score the Jaws score makes was perfect. The movie. The score in this movie is perfect. Makes, it makes it. So, yeah, it's a 10 movie. Well, I, I like the creativity, as in Jaws, when Spielberg used the barrels to show you that the shark was here. Oh, amazing. It's just amazing. I, I fucking love these movies. All right. So I guess that's it, right? That's it. That's the show. That is the show. My goal is to actually have the listeners pick the movies. Like, we're picking our favorite movies right now, so we're going to be oozing all over them, right? Except for, actually, I got to call you out on your Ace Ventura score. You gave it a two. I gave it a two. You laughed. I did not you, laugh that much. You were laughing. So, therefore, that's at least an average movie. No. Yes, it is. No. That's I laugh funny. at farts. Are farts, farts an aver- are funny. average movie? It's an average laugh. Farts are funny. I'll tell you what. I will, I will give it a higher rating than I would Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> You're an asshole. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber sucks. I can't. Get, I can't even get through it to even tell you how to get my feelings on it. I'm trying. I just know there's a hockey player in it. 
I think Cam Neely's in that movie. Oh, is he? Yeah. Number eight, Cam Neely, Boston Bruins. Dude, we're so close to fucking hockey season. I can't wait. It's I can taste hockey. Oh, my God. You're going to have to write down your passwords again so I can watch hockey. Oh, for, uh, for, for MSG? MSG, yeah. Comcast still does not have MSG. They won't They won't negotiate with oh, each other Jesus. anymore. All right, so just search for us on all the socials, Flick Magnet Pod. You'll find us. It's a very unique name. Yeah, we're on uh, Facebook at Flick Magnet, Twitter at Flick Magnet Pod, Instagram at Flick Magnet, and email flickmagnetpod at yahoo.com. There you go. All right, so if you want us to cover a movie, hit us up on there. Do you want us to cover your favorite movie? Yeah, we're doing ours right now. We're doing, we're doing, we're just coming up with ones off the top of our head just to get us in the zone. But tell us what you want us to review. We're new. Do you, want us, do you want us to review a movie you don't like and, and see what we think? I'm good that too. You know what I'm dying to do? You can stop me from doing this by, by commenting. Youngblood. Oh, God. I'm dying to do Youngblood. No one's done it. Nobody has covered that movie. I've looked. No one's seen that movie. Besides you. Look at that. The cast. Rob Lowe. Patrick Swayze. Keanu Reeves. Come on. That's amazing. Anyway, hit us up and stay tuned for the trailer of the movie we're doing next. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? One. Friday, the 13th. <laughs>